Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. The time has come. It's time for a new series. Uh, Some of you have been here two or three times and still haven't heard me speak. And so uh, if you don't come back after this week, we'll know what happened. You're like, I'm going to give him one chance. And you're like, it didn't, didn't work out. Uh, but if that happens, God bless you. We love you anyway. Uh, so the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about mission. And uh, we've titled this series Everyday Mission. And for those who are a little slower, it's a play on words. Uh, we'll be discussing the mission of Everyday Church. But most importantly, we'll be discussing the mission of Jesus. While it is extraordinary and is in no way mundane, it should become such a part of our lives that it's just our everyday mission. And while we should be on mission every day, two words, every day, meaning every single day we should be on mission. I'm trying to say that the mission of Jesus should be so normative, so standard procedure, so to speak, that it's just what we do. It's just how we live our lives. And my hope is that this series will be a rally cry that it would be a call to action. So today's going to be an introduction. I'm not sure there'll be a lot of hooping and hollering, but we'll see what happens. Um, we find the mission of Jesus, otherwise known as the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, it says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And this might be a bit of a side note before we really get started, but I think I find it odd that it says some doubted. Just weeks earlier, they physically saw Jesus savagely beaten and brutally murdered on a cross. And we don't know exactly how many times Jesus showed himself to the disciples after his resurrection, but there are at least 10 different references in the Gospels and 1 Corinthians to other people and the disciples seeing Jesus physically. I don't know if this is the second time, the 10th time, but we do know that it's one of the final times that the disciples physically saw Jesus before he ascended to heaven, but still some doubted. And while this is, a, this is negative on some levels, it also gives me great encouragement because we all face things that create doubt. And I think a lot of times in church culture, we don't allow people to think about, talk about, or process their doubts. And because of that, we have a lot of churchgoers putting on masks because they feel that they'll be rejected in some way if they say, look, I'm having some doubts in this area of my life. Look, faith isn't always about not having fear and not having doubt. Faith is about persevering in the face of my doubt. It's about persevering in spite of my fear. It's it's not knowing what the next step is, but taking it anyway, because I believe that there's a God who will catch me if I fall. Like I know I said this is a side note, but really uh, it's kind of front and center in that it's one of our core values as a church. One of our stated core values is authenticity. And the sentence that we crafted behind this core value is this. We believe it's okay to not be okay. We want to be a church where people can take their masks off and be real. A church that prioritizes honesty and leads with integrity. So what does this have to do with our mission? Look, our core values enable us to accomplish the everyday mission. 
And it's a bit out of order because we'll probably talk about our core values as we move through this series on mission. But it was the first thing in the text, so I didn't want to skim right over it. Look, authenticity is priority number one. It's people, don't, people are tired of fake. It's just, I don't know if you are, but I, I'm, I'm certainly tired of it. Listen, I know we have a lot of new folk to our church. You're still figuring us out. But I want to let you know that if you're experiencing doubt or struggle in your faith, you don't have to hide that. And when you're not okay, it's okay to come to someone and say, hey, I'm not okay. And we'll do our best to wrap our arms around you and help you to the other side. Because on the other side is victory. On the other side is stronger and deeper roots. I mean, we know historically that all of these disciples were martyred for their faith. Except for John, they tried to boil him alive, but he wouldn't die. So he was exiled to a place called the Isle of Patmos. And so whoever was a part of this group of some doubted quickly had a turnaround. They became the fathers of our faith. And I believe that the same thing will happen to you and me as we process our doubts together. And as we encounter Jesus, our faith will be strengthened. Our spiritual roots will grow deep and will produce the fruit of the spirit. Throwback to the last series. All right. On to the mission of Jesus, the great the Great Commission. Uh, continuing verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is releasing his disciples with his authority to go and make other disciples. Right? This commissioning moment also extends to us. As Christ followers, our commission or our everyday mission, if you will, our mandate from Jesus is to go and make disciples. Now, in years gone by, Christianity in America was accepted as the religion of the day. Certainly there were other religions present, but by and large, as uh, Ed Stetzer puts it, Christendom was commonly acknowledged as the preferred spiritual path within our geographical boundaries. And because of the bias toward Christianity in years past, the church became handicapped because we did not have to be missional. This is no longer true. We're no longer on home turf. According to author George Hunter, and this is a dated statistic, so it may even be worse now. The U.S. is the largest mission field in the Western Hemisphere. And it's the fifth largest mission field on earth. See, we can no longer think of ourselves, Christianity, as the preferred source of truth to the unchurched. The church has waited hundreds of years for the world to come to it in repentance. Today, we must go to them. See, we're now in a missionary location because North America is a mission field the same way that in years past we considered undeveloped worlds the mission field. The late pastor Jerry Cook says that a church that's not on mission will end in mediocrity. And he says this, quote, if it does not end in mediocrity, it will end in subculturalization. And a subculture is a separate system within a system. It defines its own lifestyle, has its own speech, and tends to externalize its basic spiritual qualities. It develops its own community. 
And then he says, when a church subculturalizes, it becomes an island of irrelevance in a sea of despair. Look, there's no question, question that the world around us is a sea of despair. People are broken. People are hurting. The political and racial tensions are nothing like we've ever seen. Professing Christ followers are leading the way with bigotry and hatred under the banner of church or Christianity. We must not allow everyday church to become its own little cute subculture while we disregard those around us. While I'm thankful for the growth that we're experiencing, we must not become complacent. We cannot sit around and expect those outside of the faith to come to us. We must go to them. We must engage in the mission of Jesus. All the weeks that we spent talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is, his gifts, his fruit, it's all for nothing if we don't embrace the empowerment. For too long, the Pentecostal church is focused on the feeling and the emotion of the Holy Spirit. But I love what Bishop Tim Hill always says. The Holy Spirit didn't come for our enjoyment. He came for our employment. A verse that most of you can quote in the room, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what happens? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Look, we've talked about this many times before. But so many people want to focus on the power. And I don't want to negate that. Because that preach, you know, it preaches really well. Or you get people worked up emotionally when you start preaching about the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, I don't want to negate what the Holy Spirit does in our lives regarding the power. But Jesus said you would receive power and you would be my witness. The word witness there in the original language is the word martus. It's where we get our word martyr. In a literal sense, Jesus was telling his disciples, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive the power to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. And they did. Every one of them were murdered for their faith in Jesus. And yet here I am struggling to lay down bad habits, let alone lay down my life for the sake of the gospel. That brings us to the mission statement of everyday church. We have it painted on the wall in the back. And really, it's just a rewording of the Great Commission to lead everyday people into a growing relationship with Jesus. In other words, go and make disciples. Because a disciple is someone who's growing, someone who's learning. There should never be a moment when we're not discipling others and also being discipled ourselves in some way. Now, as we move through this, it's important for us to understand that the mission never changes. Everybody say that. The mission never changes. changes. Methodologies or methods or models that we use can be different from person to person or church to church. But we mustn't confuse the method or the model with the mission. I mean, our church models experienced great disruption in 2020. When the pandemic hit, there was a lot of chaos. And as a new lead pastor, it was a very stressful time. Every day, a new question had to be answered or a decision had to be made. But what was revealed to us, I don't mean us necessarily as a church, everyday church. What was revealed to the body of Christ was that people cared more about model than they do mission. Because the mission of the church at large is always the same. Making disciples, reaching people, using everyday church language to lead everyday people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's the mission. But the method or the model used doesn't really matter. 
Sticking with the 2020 example, some churches were online only. And while that wasn't a method that I personally preferred, many churches experienced growth through their online campuses. People received Christ at, at, at increasing numbers, numbers that some of these churches had never seen before. Many churches, many churches experienced massive growth. The amount of people accepting Jesus, the amount of people being discipled, the amount of people that were, that were giving financially. It was just astronomical in comparison to other years. But instead of looking at the overall picture and saying the mission of Jesus is being fulfilled, people began to grumble and complain because the model had changed. I don't know that hits close to home. It's almost one of those too soon moments. But we need to do some serious soul searching when we care more about the model than we do the mission. Even though our, our church was smaller, we still lost people because we changed our model even for six weeks. Six weeks we went online only and people lost their minds. This certainly isn't new behavior. Many of you in this room have experienced model over mission wars. If you've not, you've heard about them. Churches splitting over carpet color. Anybody ever heard of that who's, who's been a part of something like that a few people like literally been a part of it that's just... people leaving because the pastor wants to remove church pews and add chairs as if as if Jesus cared whether or not the color of the carpet was blue or red you know what I mean if he does happen to care, he probably prefers blue because we all know the devil wears a red suit. So, so he probably likes blue. So if you left because they want to change it to red, you're probably okay. <clears throat> like I told this story not too long ago, but last year I was invited to be a part of a lead pastor's online cohort. And for several weeks, pastors from all over the country, some of them I think maybe even international, would meet online and we'd be trained and mentored and encouraged and after a short general session where the main leader would, would talk about you know, whatever the theme of the week was, we would break out into smaller online groups where six to eight, six, six to eight pastors. And out of those six to eight pastors, they would begin to express struggle. And we would just kind of talk through those things together. But out of those six to eight pastors that were in my group, and I don't know if this was collectively over every group, three or four of them, so almost half, half or more, would express struggle over trying to add a television to their meeting space so that they could have the words of their songs displayed. Or they express great turmoil over trying to add modern courses instead of hymns. I'm not talking about adding modern songs. I'm like, like, we sing a lot of modern songs here. I'm not talking about adding modern songs. I'm talking about conflict over adding 20 to 30 year old praise and worship courses. Courses that came from the 80s and 90s. And when I got off that first call, first of all, I was grateful for our church. And second, I was confused. It did not feel real. I thought, people are still fighting over carpet color and televisions. This makes no sense to me. This is... <laughs> I typed it in my notes and it felt right when I practiced it. But just to say it now, it feels weird. But this is stupid. I'm not saying people's preferences are stupid. We all have personal preferences. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm saying that fighting and bringing division over such trivial things is not of God. If you'll remember from the Fruit of the Spirit series, Paul called it the acts of the flesh. 
I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says regarding mission versus model. He says, marry the mission, date the model. I mean, how many of you are ready to engage in the mission of Jesus? How many of you are ready to date the model? <laughs> I set that up to, 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 you knew. The guy's like, I'm not losing my hands on that. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it because I married a supermodel, so I'm good. <clears throat> Here's the reason I'm talking about mission versus method. At Everyday Church, we have a method or a model of doing things. And even though it might feel like at times we aren't, uh, it might feel like it, but we're not actually flying by the seat of our pants. We don't just show up and hope for the best. Right. The people who come to this pulpit spend lots of time preparing and getting ready. The worship team spends time rehearsing and practicing. The staff is meeting regularly, discussing models and methods and ways to reach people. What happens here is not an accident. And many of you loved our methods, and that's why you keep coming back. Look, I don't know everything. I'm certainly not good at everything. And admittedly, I have a lot to learn in regards to running a church or a staff and volunteers. In hindsight, I could have done a much better job of putting the mission front and center. Right? We have an intentional method. Our core values are one of the ways that we fulfill the mission. We've referenced them several times today. But, but being authentic, being spirit-led, being generous and valuing and investing in our community. Right? We utilize kids' church and nursery and a more modern worship or music style. We preach a certain way for a certain length of time. We have small groups and various Bible studies. We go to conferences, etc. We partner with our schools and the local rec recreation sports leagues. We support missionaries. We go on mission trips. We meet here in this abandoned Elks Lodge that was here, that's here just for us. But all of it is just a method. It's not the mission. Again, here's why I'm saying this. Because our model, our method is about to change. As of now, scheduled in November of this year, we're going to transition out of this building into a new facility. I'd hope by the time I brought this message, I could reveal what the next step would be. However, I'm still unable to do so. But fear is not my future. Amen. He is. And even though I can't tell you exactly the things that we're working on and all of that kind of stuff, what I do know is this. Things are about to change. And over the next three months, my hope is that we become so focused on mission and on reaching people that the method becomes irrelevant, that the model becomes secondary. Look, I don't particularly want to go back to a set up, tear down model. We've been spoiled the last couple of years. For those of you that have been here since the beginning, we used to back up a trailer to this door and we would pipe and drape this whole place because there were eight million Elks plaques and there were elk heads everywhere. You can't imagine what that looks like. I think we moved them. They used to be in these closets, these offices right here. But I was going to say, let's some, get somebody grab one so you can just see what it used to be. I'm talking gigantic, like, and they were everywhere. Antlers and plaques and flowered furniture from 1970. And just like, so we pipe and draped every single thing. And then they exited and merged with Ocala and left it just to us. So we've gotten a little bit spoiled. Look, I don't want to go back to that. But if we have to for a short season, wouldn't it be worth it if more people can meet Jesus? I don't particularly want a new landlord because the one we currently have is amazing. But we may have to do that for a season. But wouldn't it be worth it for more people to come to know Jesus? I don't particularly want to change our meeting times. 
But we might have to for a season. But wouldn't it be worth it if the mission of Jesus moves forward and more people come to know him? I don't particularly want to go to two services. The workload obviously doubles. The amount of volunteers and resources doubles. But wouldn't it be worth it for more people to come to Jesus? Because that's what we're looking at. Look, there's so many people right now that are on vacation that are a regular part of our church, part of our volunteers te- volunteer teams, part of our worship team, and they're, they're gone. We have very few open seats even where we are. So moving forward, even if we were to somehow would have stayed in this building, we would have to go to two services. Change is coming. The method is changing. The model is changing. But the mission never changes to lead everyday people into a growing relationship with Jesus. When we were in Miami um, just a few weeks ago, everything we did was for mission. Getting up at 7 a.m., Going to sleep at 1 a.m. every day was for mission. Sleeping in a room with no AC for two nights was for mission. Cold showers in a gross, I cannot overstate, gross shower trailer shared by 60 other people was for mission. And Katie mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I may or may not have found an unused, unavailable, less gross shower to use that was in the church. So to the team, I apologize. I only used the gross shower trailer twice. <laughs> and so, uh, and Adrian only used it twice too. We, but I, I needed an accomplice. You only used it once? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Well, it was cold, but I had a private shower. And uh, every night, Adrian and me would sneak up the stairs, and I'm pretty sure they didn't want us up there because there was caution tape there, <laughs> but it wasn't a locked door, so, <laughs> so we sneak up the stairs. We'd have to use our flashlight because we wouldn't turn any lights on, so we're taking a, a cold shower in an unapproved shower space. It was where they get ready for baptisms, and uh, anyway, so when we were done with shower, we'd call him. I'd call Adrian and be like, hey, and he would come out and he'd just be walking around the hallway. He's like, you're good, you're good. Go, 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 go. We're like, we're running down the stairs and we would just repeat that every night. I mean, talk about being on mission. It was like Mission Impossible every night trying to get a shower. And uh, anyway, so I apologize to the team, but I'm really not, I, I'm, I'm not really sorry. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, the peanut butter sandwiches every day for lunch were for mission. All day outside, 90-degree weather was for mission. The air mattresses, the stinky teenagers, the rude teenagers, the blisters on your feet, the sunburn, the bug bites. It was all for mission. Here's what I'm telling you about Miami again. I know we did a recap a few weeks ago. Because everything we did revolved around the mission that we were on. And because we were on mission, sharing the gospel became easier. There were no distractions. There were no ought-tos or have-tos. There were no other places to be. We were on mission 24-7. So even while running errands in the morning to get ice for our coolers for the rest of the day, getting sunscreen, getting bug spray, whatever we had to do, getting medicine for people who were having allergic reactions, all of the craziness that went on, it was easier to share the gospel because we were on mission. We were literally on a mission trip. Katie and I were getting ice one one morning, and this lady came out, and she was just so nice to us and talking. And so we were just like, hey, are you Christ follower? I mean, like, just straight in. You know what I mean? Not like whatever. 
And she was like, oh, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. And she's, she's pushing her cart and she's getting away from us. But I'm just saying it was an easier environment. But I believe that we can experience that here in our daily lives if we shift the way that we think. See, my prayer is that the mission of Jesus becomes so normal that it literally becomes just our everyday mission. When I speak to someone about Jesus, when I pray with someone, when I invite someone to church, it's not abnormal. It's just what I do because my life is on mission. When I go to work, I'm looking for ways to live on mission. When I play, I'm looking for ways to live on mission. When I'm getting gas or at the restaurant, I'm looking for ways to live on mission. Pastor and author Jerry Cook, I referenced him earlier. He described a time when he was praying for his community. And he said, quote, I was praying one day for the Lord to give me the community. And the Lord stopped me. Never pray for that again, he said. I'm not going to give a community to you. Instead, I want you to pray, Lord, give me to the community. And he goes on to describe that it was then that he awoke to the fact that God didn't want the church to be a separate subculture. But instead, God wants us to penetrate every segment of society that he's placed us in. So my question for us today is simple. Adrian, come play. We're wrapping this up. Is how many of you will join me in praying that dangerous prayer? God, give me to the community. And we've all prayed that. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, this is something he expressed when I read this book several years ago as we were getting ready to plant the church, start this church. That arrested my heart. And that's part of the reason why community became one of our core values. But that's the question that I'm presenting to us today. Will you join me in saying, God, give me to the community and ex- instead of expecting them to come to me? To live a life that's so on mission that everywhere I am, it's normative for me to share the gospel. That doesn't always look like going straight in for the kill. Hey, are you a Christ follower? It might look like going to the same gas station every single time you get gas at the same time, same day, so you can get to know the worker who's working in that shift. And you go in and you recognize them and they recognize you and you begin to develop relationship. You begin to say, hey, how's it going? How's your day? Katie and I were at Zaxby's last Sunday after church. And there was a large group of us and we walked up and we we're like, hey, how are you? And, and you know, that's a stretch for me because I'm usually got a chip on my shoulder when I go to fast food restaurants. But I'm, work, <laughs> I'm working on it. But we go in and this, you know, this, this girl was waiting on us and we said, how are you? She's like, good. And I was like, how's your day been? She's like, it's, you know, it's good, but you could tell it wasn't like whatever. And I just said, are people being kind to you today? And she just paused for a moment. And she's like, yeah, you know, people aren't really very kind. And we just said, you know what? There's a big group of us here and every single one of them better be kind to you. A lot of them are on our staff and they will be gone if they're not. (laughs) But I think through the group of people that came, she felt kindness. I'm just saying, look, 
I didn't share the gospel. We said, hey, we're, we're part of a big church. We're, we're part of a church. All these people are from our church. They, they'll, they'll be kind to you. I'm saying that as we intentionally construct our paths, our way to work, our way home, because if you're like me, most of the time you don't want to talk to anybody else. You know what I mean? Like I'm the guy that when I'm out of gas, like should have stopped three days ago, you're like, oh God, please. You know what I mean? Anybody ever pray on the way to the gas station? Just a few of us. Well, you know. You know what it is. God, please let me make it. Please let me make it. I'm the guy that's, when I'm on that level of gas, pulls in and you put your card in, it goes, must see cashier. And I'm like, I can make it somewhere else. <laughs> like, I'm not walking inside. I'm going to put my debit card in. I'm going to drive down the street and pray again. God, don't let me run out of gas. God, let me. So I get that. That's our culture. Just, just, just not, not talk to people, whatever. But what if we lived our life on mission and I said, every day I'm going to go to this person. What if it cost me five more cents a gallon, but I was able to build a relationship with someone? Would it be worth it? I'm saying if we flip the way that we think and realize that our lives are to always be on mission, I think opportunities will begin to arise. When we take the moment to slow down and look at the cashier's face when we're checking out and say, hey, how's your day going? You may not have time to have a deep conversation with them, but you're sharing the gospel through the love and the interaction and I think as we begin to sow those seeds, see, a lot of us want to reap a harvest. We want to go straight to winning somebody to the Lord. We don't ever sow any seeds. You can't. I'm not going to go home today, look at my backyard. And I know I said this through the fruit of the spirit message. There's not going to be fruit trees. There's going to be dead plants because we don't take care of them. But there's not going to be some abnormal fruit tree growing in the back because I planted no seeds. And the same applies to our spiritual life. We're like, oh, I just want to win people to Christ. We'll sow a seed. Life on mission, being intentional. Will you pray with me? God, give me to the community, whatever that looks like. Whatever it looks like. Would you pray that prayer with me? If you're willing to, with hands lifted high, one more time as we close out this service, would you say, God, Give me to the community. In Jesus' name. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz. 